0: DDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You will hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think it would be a good fit for a profile episode please go to gundogatyourself.com and complete the form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This week, we have Matt Johnston with us. Matt, how you doing?
1: Good. How are you guys today?
0: Living the dream as always. Can't complain. So go ahead and start off with what we always start off with. Tell everybody where you're from.
1: Right now, I live in uh, Massachusetts, unfortunately. Uh, I was born and raised in a little town, Herman, Maine. So I'm living it up in the big city in Massachusetts. Unfortunately, but why? Unfortunately, I'm a,
0: I'm a Red Sox fan. You can't say unfortunately <laughs> about that.
1: Uh, well, I, I like the woods a whole lot better than the city. So <laughs>
0: fair enough. Yep you got you got me there. I would definitely agree with that. And even though I'm a Red Sox fan, I'll still take the woods over it. So, uh, how long you been in, in Massachusetts?
1: Uh, roughly three years now.
2: Okay. So So, how long have you had a gun dog, man?
1: Well, my first gun dog was when I was 17. He was a Basset hound, Australian shepherd cross.
2: You gotta be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) No. What, what'd you hunt with him or her? He, uh,
1: so he, old man, Jethro, that was his name. Nice. Um, (laughs) We, uh, I wanted to train him to be a squirrel and raccoon dog, but he refused to bay at the tree. He would just sit there and this is before I could afford a GPS collar. Yeah. So he just sit there and I was like, what am I supposed to do now?
2: So (laughs) You're like, well, he's treed guys. I can't hear him. I just, (laughs) I just don't know where he is.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I, After, uh, my grandfather took me out partridge hunting up North, it was December 31st. So the last day of main season. And I got stuck retrieving some grouse in like nine foot tall, uh, snow banks. Yeah. And at that moment I realized I need a dog to retrieve these birds for me.
2: Yep. Absolutely.
1: Yep. So I reached out to, uh, a local some of my local uh, bird dog people and I got hooked up with some, r- some Spaniel people who do uh, Spaniel field trials and uh, I showed up one day to one of their training days and just me a- about 18 year old kid just showed up in a little 2000 Chevy Lumina with an old hound dog in the back. They all thought I was joking. <laughs> when I, I pulled him out and they're like, Oh wait, uh, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work, but they threw one shucker out in the, into the field. He went out, he flushed it, it, went straight up. He sat on the whistle. They shot it and he went and brought it back to my, my hand. And wow. they're like, well, old man, so, Jeff like, coming through. I know.
2: <laughs> oh, so
1: I, they're like, w- why do you need us? Why do you need us? I'm like, well, he he kind of eats the birds uh, if <laughs> if he wants it. So,
2: <laughs> oh man, so, so so did you did you end up uh, doing any more coon hunting and squirrel hunting with the dog, or did you just stick to birds at that point?
1: I just stuck to birds, and then we reached, we branched out to uh, waterfowl hunting with him. He can uh, when I got done with I retired him. Um, he's 10 years old now. Uh, he could retrieve everything from Canadian geese to the small woodcock up in Maine. Now
2: we're still talking about the Basset hound
1: Aussie. Australian Shepherd cross. Mix, yep.
2: Right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> yep. I didn't zone out and we we're talking about a, a Labrador retriever or something. That's crazy. <laughs> this dog's. Retrieving stuff for you. And we'll even tree fur game. He just won't. Did you
0: put him through a retrieving program to train him to do that? Or was it just exposure and enough repetitions? He just figured it out.
1: A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I also uh, reached out to some retriever people. Um, joined a retriever club. Um, they They talked me into... After a little while, his only flaw with that dog was he refused to swim. So I said I was getting into duck hunting more. So I decided I need to get a dog that could swim. So Mm. I reached out and got a, a Labrador retriever. And then she was just supposed to be a meat dog, a hunting dog. And then I just, I got hooked up with some UKC hunt tests. And six years later, she's titled um season titled, upland hunter title, and I'm a judge for both uh levels of the HRC.
0: Wow. So that's what I love about this world is you you go from having a very atypical breed to get into the gun dog world and even the point where you go try and find help training the dog and you get laughed at and then they kinda open their eyes and then next thing you know you you you're sitting here a judge in different organizations and training an actual, you know, quote unquote hunting breed dog, but it was the, the mutt for lack of a better term that really got you into this.
1: Absolutely. And I wouldn't trade a single day in the woods without him. I wouldn't trade any of those days.
2: Man, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. And then I, I was foolish and now along with the lab, now I went to the dark side and got a Llewellyn setter.
2: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Uh, wow. So you've, you've kind of hit every, every avenue of this thing. Uh, <laughs> uh how old your setter? I'm a blunt for punishment. Okay?
1: <laughs> he, he's now, uh, he'll be three actually next week and we actually he does akc uh pointing field trials we might dabble in some hunt tests with him and we actually did navda his natural ability he scored a prize to uh 108 um he just didn't he wasn't on his a game for the track that day and and we're working towards a ut for next year with him
2: very cool man so, so you're uh if you follow your your history you'll end up being a NAVDA judge as well it seems like anything you get <laughs> into you're just full bore into it man
1: yeah it's there's only one way to do it and you have to do it right you know
0: yep i agree so, 100% so after training a scent hound cattle dog mix to grouse hunt and now you have your normal labrador and setter which do you prefer, hunting in the woods behind?
1: Uh, versatile, versatile wise. Uh, I'd have to take my lab, uh, to be honest. Okay. She, she, I, I, just can't beat a good flushing dog. And she'll, she, by nature, she's more of a upland dog than a waterfowl dog. She just goes crazy when she smells woodcock, and we can limit out in wood. One time, this is just a story. One time we limited out in woodcock, which is three in Maine, um, in 15 minutes, that one spot we went to. It was literally, we jumped out of the truck, we went five yards, she flushed one, bang, she sat on the whistle, went out, picked it up, we went another 25 yards flushed it, bang, picked it up. And then on our way back, bang, picked it up. And, and then we flushed like 12 more woodcock that one session right there. I was about and to say, those, those to, are
0: the mornings that you wish the daily limits applied per dog, not per person.
1: Absolutely. And it's the one day I didn't have anyone with me. That's, well, that's why it happened. Yeah, exactly. They I mean, you good contact. <laughs> no, absolutely.
2: <laughs> you spent more time getting the dog out of the truck and ready to hunt than you did hunting that day, probably.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was. She, I was like, "All right, here, here's some water." She's like, "No, I'm good, I'm good." And then she just took off like a rocket. <laughs> just, so
2: your setter, I, I've always really liked setters. I was just thinking the other day, you know. Maybe I'll get a setter. I I always have these random thoughts of different types of dogs that I might want. And I'll probably end up with another Mm -hmm. short hair, but I love setters, man. Where'd you get your setter from?
1: So he's from like a little mom and pop, uh, breeder in Maine, but they did their homework and they bred two really, really good dogs together. Uh, like I said, he's a Llewellyn, so it's a little snobby, but, uh, (laughs) But he's he's an, he's not your typical setter. I've been told. A lot of people are like have told me. Professional uh, pointing dog trainers say he's not your typical like temperament for a setter. He's a little bit got a little more grit to him, and he's got a lot more heart to him too, which sometimes gets him in trouble because he burns his paw pads out mm. when we go hunting sometimes. But. It is what it is. Well, I'm
0: really interested, you know, we we started off talking about how you unfortunately live in Massachusetts in the big city. I want to know what it's like on a daily basis to have three completely different style of dogs and how you train for them and and I don't know if when you said that you're in the big city or if you're actually in like downtown Boston or something. But, you know, walk us through how you, you maintain a a good, consistent training regimen for all, all the different style of dogs that you have while living in a city.
1: Yep. So, like I said earlier, um, Jeff Rose in retirement, he's living it up with my parents up in Maine right now. So he's, he's done, he's done his duty. He. He might come out once in a while. I also guided a shooting preserve up in New Hampshire. So I might bring him out of retirement just for, just for fun. Um, but now we have the lab, the setter, and then my wife has, uh, her own lab. And then we also have a Dutch shepherd, which <laughs> I don't recommend anyone getting a Dutch shepherd. <laughs> they're, they're little, they're crazy. Well, they're, I think they're, they're you guys might
2: be a little crazy too, living in the city with four dogs. I mean, like Nick was saying, how on earth do you make that work?
1: Uh, uh, you just have to dedicate time and you just, it's a lot of not really, when you're training with them, it's not trying to m- physically drain them. It's to mentally drain them and get them mentally tired. you You're never going to get these guys physically worn out. You're you're going to have to do some mental drills with them, get their obedience um, to a level where I rarely, when I'm out for a walk in our neighborhoods or if we're in town, I rarely have to put a leash on them because they know what the expectation is. I tell them heal. They stay by my side. They just know what how to shift gears. And... You just have to maintain it. It's just like everything you put in the reps, you put in practice, is what you get out.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, I've spent you know a lot of days trying to just run my dog to wear them out, and it works. You get home and they lay down on the kitchen floor, the living room floor, and they're just worn out. But for five minutes, yeah. Thirty minutes later, they're yeah. ready to go again. And absolutely, I've also taken them around the neighborhood and healed them, and you know provided plenty of distractions. And 15 minutes later, he's, he's still like, okay, I'm worn out. I'm emotionally exhausted right now, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I agree, man, you can't just wear him out physically. You got to provide some mental stimulation as well.
0: So what, yep. what kind of training grounds do you have? Do you have a backyard that you can easily go to or do you have to go to a, a park nearby or do you have just good training grounds within an easy commute? You know, walk us through that living in such a, a big city and high populated area.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes. I live in, so if anyone wants to look on the map, I live in a town called Burlington, which is a couple... As the crow flies, about fifteen minutes north of Boston, so it's kind of suburbs, uh, but still heavily populated. Um, I I was blessed. We have a nice yard that, if I want to do T pattern or any of that kind of stuff, I can. I have just enough space. Or if I want to work the setter on um, doing some search drills for practicing for the UT duck search. I can hide bumpers all through the, the cover and stuff like that. And we're also blessed to be right at a dead end street where there's a butt uh, conservation land. So I get to go out there. It's about 25, 20, 25 acres. Uh, we get to run the dogs there and I get to do some drills when I have birds when it's possible. Um, but, as far as, like, good training grounds to do to really stretch the lab out, it, it's kind of tough. I recently did join a new uh, lab club uh, in, that's based in uh, Massachusetts, but I, have, I still have to travel 45 minutes one way to get to those grounds. But it's it, it, you have to put, like I said, you have to put in the time and you have to put in the effort to get the results you're looking for
0: right and you've proven over the years that you don't mind doing that everything from training a dog that people said was a waste of your time to becoming judges and putting titles on your dogs and just like adam was saying kind of a glutton for punishment for having four dogs in the house in the dutch shepherd journey i'm sure that's pretty interesting
1: yeah she's our oddball she's uh she uh we call her our rescue dog uh she's At eight years old, she has as much, if not more, physical energy as my three-year-old setter. So they're perfect together. They just run circles around each other. Whereas my my lab and my wife's lab, they could care less and they have all the self-preservation in the world. (laughs) Whereas (laughs) those other two, they don't. Yep
2: yeah well, I mean I you know I say you're a glutton for punishment, and maybe you're crazy for having four dogs, but it's very evident that you're you're committed to your dogs, whether they're just a pet or you know a hunting dog as well. So I gotta know man real quick back back to your first dog there did you get him with the intentions of hunting him, or did you get the dog and then kind of decide you know what let's let's try to hunt with this guy,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. I was on the fence. I was like, what should I, do? because he was, as a young puppy, he was super intelligent. So, you take both of those breeds, they're both intelligent breeds, the Basset Hound and the, and the Australian Shepherd. It's just, their work work ethic is different. And I was lucky enough that he has a little bit more of the willing to work with you like the Australian Shepherd. It, but, the drive of the basset hound for that hunting instinct. So it was after seeing, uh, training with him a little bit, I was like, all right, let's try a let's try a job. When at the time that I was getting into hunting more and more and I was like, let's give it a shot. And the as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's a really neat story, and like I said, I I really enjoy the stories such as that. Just yeah, not not your typical or average, you know, coming into this gun dog world story that you hear from most people. But uh, and I, I appreciate your time and coming on and sharing it. But before we let you go, I have to ask: Is there one training story that really stands out in your mind? Whether it's with the lab or the setter or old man Jethro.
1: It was, so you say that the last or that first training session I took Jethro to with those set, those, um, Spaniel people, that same training session, they put another bird out and he went out, he court, he semi quartered. We had to work on that, have him quartered the field. He just wanted to track. So he would just go right on the line. Like if you drew a chalk line, he'd just go on that line. And he, we flushed the bird. They shot the bird. And it was kind of a cripple. And it flew off. And I sent him for it. And after a minute, we are like, oh, let's, oh, he's not coming back. Let's see what he's doing. Making sure he's not um, having uh, early dinner or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so we go over to the tree line where right adjacent to the field where the the bird flew off and we see the bird in this tree and he's squawking and he's going up this tree. And there you see Jethro climbing up this tree. I've never seen him do it ever since that time. I'm lucky at that because he has a mean, he's mean street for porcupines apparently. Oh man! But he, he went up that tree. He picked up that, that chucker. And he brought it back and that, that's that was the real point that they were like, all right, let's put, let's start putting some more obedience on this dog and let's start forming some good habits with them.
2: Yeah. And it all worked out. Well, i tell you what, man, it, it'd be hard to get a, a regular old bird dog to tree a bird like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I I can net. I I can almost picture it like it was yesterday. He just went up that tree, grabbed it, and brought it back. And
0: not. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, both of these, both my setter and my Labrador, both have are very. I was fortunate with the setter. He's super, super retriever oriented. Yeah. And but but he, the old man Jethro. He. Uh, I, I was proud of him that day. I really was
2: absolutely man with a dog like that that's not necessarily bred for what you're doing with it it's it's all the more reason to be proud so that's really cool man matt thanks a lot for coming on tonight uh definitely enjoyed hearing all these stories man really
1: appreciate it thank you i appreciate your time guys
2: thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under it Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundogityourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.